This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Public.com and Ledin.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am your host, Charlie Schramm, for another awesome freaking episode of Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be. And I want to welcome back Andrew Kiggle. You know, we had you on the show. You were the CEO of Hut8 Mining, the largest North American, probably one of the largest Bitcoin mining company publicly traded in the world. That was one of the best episodes that this show has ever produced. So now we get to have you back on the show. You're the founder of tokens.com. Uh, you guys just, there's so much to talk about because through your subsidiary, just last week, you guys announced through your metaverse, uh, uh, um, your, I think it's the metaverse group, the largest acquisition of land, like $2.5 million in, a, in digital real estate. What the hell is going on? What is the metaverse? Yeah. So the metaverse is basically 3D environments um, where people travel around through avatars. And if you remember back to things like Second Life or even like Vice City, like the shooter games where you're wandering around these 3D environments, this is the same thing, except there's other people around that you can interact with. But why is this significant? So I think this is the next iteration of social media, advertising and computing. What do you mean? Okay, so social media, let's take that as an example. Obviously, everyone has seen the news on Facebook doing the largest rebrand in history. They're seeing that people are going to stop sort of doing things like watching television and maybe flipping through things like Facebook, and that they're going to start instead to socialize in these metaverses. And so you can go in there, you can present yourself the way you want to look. You can dress yourself with like Adidas kicks or a Gucci handbag, whatever you want, and make friends and interact. You can even go to things like music festivals. Um, the Central Land had a massive music festival about a month ago that had the top DJs in the world. Tens of thousands of people congregated into these areas, the club district of the Central Land, to share in their love of this music, interact, socialize, and spend money. So that's the social media aspect. Branding, retailing, advertising. All of these groups, and Every day I read about something new, whether it's Adidas, Gucci, Balenciaga, are all trying to get into the metaverse because this is a whole new demographic. This is a whole new set of people that they're saying, how do we get access to these people? These aren't necessarily people who are watching TV, reading newspapers, or walking down Fifth Avenue. How do we get to them? So they're all redefining how they view the metaverse. And, and this is my prediction. Within 24 months, every single corporation on the planet will need a metaverse strategy. The same reason every company on the planet has needed a crypto strategy. Same exact social media strategy. Yes. Yeah. And number three, computing. I mean, if you look at things like NVIDIA, the chip makers, as this technology develops, you need more and more processing power. So if you're trying to go on Decentraland or Sandbox on like, you know, an older computer, you might crash your system. And so this is requiring a new need for more advanced chips, graphics, gaming, all of those things. This is all Web 3.0. And it's getting people, you know, super excited. It's in the media, you know, every day. You hear Web 3.0. We hear like Metaverse. Uh, it's happening kind of a little bit too rapidly for a lot of people's comfort. When I and I always say like, discomfort is how we grow. You know, you're in the same box. How are you supposed to get out of it? But if you're thrown into like an uncomfortable situation, like, you know, your first day in prison or something, you learn how to grow out. You have to figure that out. And 
This is growing so fast that just, I think it was on Friday maybe, I read an op-ed in the New York Times. When the New York Times has an op-ed about something, you know that all of the folks that are sitting home all day are like uncomfortable about a specific topic. And basically the topic was, I get the metaverse, I get Web3, I get crypto. And the author like really understood it all. He understands decentralization, scarcity, very, very deeply. And what he talked about and what really made me think over the weekend, he said, everything that I understand about this can't replace the feeling of the human body. And I thought about that and I said, I love my body. I, I recently lost my sense of smell for a year. I just got it back. That was the most depressing year I've went through. Like, yeah. you don't know how depressing it is to not be able to smell things, to smell skin. And so like, what do you kind of say to that? Is Will there be hardware? Is that just like a ready player one type of answer that we need to solve? So I don't think this is there to replace things like human touch. What made this all popular is let's think to what's happened over the last couple of years. COVID hit and it hit hard all around the world where the most places shut down. So restaurants, clubs, the ability for people to interact people started turning to the metaverse as a way to socialize. And while what you were reading is correct, nothing replaces human touch or smell or that face-to-face -face interaction. For a lot of people around the world, they don't have the ability to do that. So if you were the person you know, stuck in a 300 square foot apartment in New York, or maybe you're somewhere in Anchorage or you know, New Zealand, you've lost the ability to go out and have those social interactions. And so while the entire world shut down, the metaverse has opened up. And this is a way for people to go in and meet that other human need, which is the ability to talk to someone, to interact. And so I don't think this is replacing human touch. What this is replacing is people on their phone, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. This is just the, a, another level of immersion for social media that's gonna replace social media as opposed to replacing human interaction in, in a physical do you, way. Do you think that the human interaction that will be replaced in the interim could be like type, and I don't know if this is true, I'm just kind of coming up with it on the fly, interactions where you're uncomfortable. So there are times where you have to have that meeting, you have to have that in-person conversation, you have to have that discussion, whether it be someone close to you or someone not, whether it be someone something personally, or maybe it's a deposition or something where it's like an uncomfortable type of in-person meeting where body language and how things are said can screw it up, even even meeting between North and South Korea. But doing it over Zoom, you don't get what you need. Is this the perfect medium, like meeting in a metaverse type of world where everyone knows what is happening around you can't be controlled by any single entity? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, it's starting to get a little bit Matrix-like, right? And Crazy. so we want to be we want to be aware of that. And that, you know, is this a game? Is this a toy? Is this a form of socialization? Is this a form of manipulation? And I think it's all going to develop. I mean, one of the big questions is, what is Facebook or Meta? What is their metaverse going to look like? Is it going to be very centralized? Or are they going to follow the pattern of the new ones that are out there and quite popular that are very decentralized where everybody participates and it's democratized how the city is being built? And so these are good questions to ask, and this is all new. And so I think it remains to see how it gets defined. I mean, Facebook took a very, a lot of, no one talks about this, but Facebook did take that first step with Libra. Um, and basically, if you look at that skeleton model, not what they were trying to do or what they're trying to do now, 
They built federation, multiple businesses, companies, individuals. Facebook, a lot of people don't realize that Facebook has this external uh, arbitration system. So it's like how Facebook handles internal social and humanities related things are done by this external company that can kind of come in and has the power to mediate things. So Facebook, you know, Apple does care. We know that Apple cares about privacy a lot further because privacy is built into the hardware itself. Apple has taken that view of like, oh, we don't want the, we don't, we don't even have the control. Whereas Facebook's like, we have the control, but we're outsourcing it to like a third party where people can trust. So there's, you have two type of different streams of consciousness here. But do you think people trust Facebook? I mean, that's not the, that's not the, the impression I get. No, no. But this is what struck me as odd. When Facebook was launching Libra, I asked every guest on this show, who do you trust more to issue currency, the government or the Facebook Libra consortium? And every answer was the Facebook Libra consortium. So like sure. the trust bar is low. Yes, and for sure. <laughs> However, if you were to re-pose that question and say, what would you prefer to buy? Bitcoin, which is sort of the decentralized or Facebook Libra coin, which one would you trust more? Good point. Because I think that's probably the right analogy with respect to the metaverse, which is, are you going to inhabit the Facebook metaverse, whatever that might look like in the next couple of years, or something like Decentraland or Sandbox, which in a sense is built by the users and the landowners. So you have Decentraland, you have Sandbox, you have um, so many other ones that I'm forgetting their name right now. They're doing, they're all doing really well. Um, how do they, how are they all going to work? So you have, then you have the metaverse group that you guys are the owner tokens.com in your view in like five years, all these multiple decentralized worlds, Will there be a standard of how they're built and how they all have to interact with each other, like interoperability? I think it's going to look like social media. People that I know that inhabit these environments are generally part of more than one. And so in the same way you might be on Facebook, you're probably also on Instagram and you're probably, you know, while I'm not, you might be on things like Snapchat or TikTok. I know, for example, my kids love I'm on TikTok. Pinterest, Pinterest. I'm joking. Pinterest, there you go. So, but that's the thing, right? Like there's there several different types of social media that serve different needs. Like in a sense, is something like Tinder or Bumble are those social media uh, tools that people use to go in and interact. And so I think what you'll find is there'll be certain metaverses that are maybe focused on education. Some of them are more focused on things like clubs, maybe some of them are more focused on fashion. Interesting. And people, you'll have an avatar. Remember, once you have your, 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 your NFT of your Gucci bag or your, your Adidas, you'll be able to, that goes in your wallet, right? That's in your MetaMask wallet or wherever it is. You can transport that to wherever you need to. And, you know, I always give the example, my wife got a, a big kick out of this. A Gucci NFT handbag is the same price or more than the real one. It's, no one understands why. Well, I, I, I'll tell you why, but Gucci, I also heard this statistic recently that the Gucci price per unit, so not the overall volume, but just the price per unit is higher in the metaverse on average than it is for physical products. So here's how to explain it. When you're on Facebook or Instagram, people go, they take pictures of their vacation or their food or anything else. Imagine you are a person where your social life or your interactions happen in the metaverse 
you have hundreds of friends, you're going to the music festivals, you're participating in the things going on. And maybe you live in a place that doesn't have a Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive or up here in Canada, Yorkville. You want a place to, to display social status, to flex. You take that Gucci handbag into you know, downtown Anchorage, you may get a beer bottle thrown at your head. But in the metaverse, you show up with that Gucci NFT, which has provenance, which means people know it was purchased from Gucci. You've got the, the, the ownership history, the pricing history, because it's all on the blockchain. You're building social status. You're building social status in the same way you might take that handbag and walk down you know, the, the fancy street in your, in your city. And I think that's what it's all about. What will be the relationship between the physical and the digital? This is something that I, I have not figured out yet. Is it going to be like if I go on YouTube, some people are burning their physical artwork to convert it into an NFT? Like, do I have to do proof of burn or am I going to have to burn my land to create digital land? Where is that? What's the relationship there? I think it's going to be separate. I think it's in the same way. Like I, I think social media is a great analogy. And I really do think that the metaverse is the next iteration of social media where agree. it's not going to replace like human interaction and touch and going to the club or going to these things, but it's going to be an alternative for people that can't get that. And I'll give you, you know, I, I keep going to this example of this big uh, EDM festival that was held in Decentraland. It had the, the top DJs in the world. Now for a lot of people, you can't jump on a plane and go to Ibiza or wherever that big music festival is, but you love the music, this is a chance for you to go listen to this music. It was a 48 hour festival. You can listen to the music. You can interact with other people that share the love of that music. You can pick up a pair of kicks or whatever, just like you would at a normal concert. There's concession stands and games and things to do. And it's just another way for people to interact and socialize. Where commerce comes into it is that you're gonna have all these brands, like if, if you could advertise, you got 50,000 people over a 48 hour period going to this music festival. If you could have a billboard there that said, you know, whatever, Adidas or whatever brand it is you're retailing, you'd pay money to display that. You would a hundred percent. And so like, I'm just thinking now, if there's a reggae festival and I want to get some of my friends around the world who live everywhere, we can all go to this reggae festival together. We can, yes. we can participate together. But, but more importantly, why do you go to festivals with friends? that are culturally like-minded is because that's what you want to build relationships. I have a friend who I don't see a lot. When that reggae rise up festival comes once a year, we see it together and, right. and we have memories together of going to the past shows. So it's like you get to interact with those type of people. So I guess you can say that culture is not. So what you're trying to say is that culture is not geographically based anymore. We're moving away from yes. culture being geographically based. The geography has been removed for people as a way, not just like to message each other and say, hey, look at my dinner picture of my food, but in a way to actually share experiences with people globally, but also as a way for artists to remove those geographic boundaries, right? So I think Ariana Grande is doing stuff in the metaverse, Snoop Dogg. This is a way I've heard of a lot of music artists as a way to go out and test your music. Here's you know a new audience. I can have them listen to it brands are having fashion shows in the metaverse it's all very cool movies and film hollywood uh well i always said this there's that new james bond movie right so what if you could because you can show video in the metaverse you're trying to get to a demographic who might not be watching tv or, or you know getting access to know that you could have a trailer so people are just walking by in the downtown area where there's visitor traffic and the trailer can sort of go from english 
Chinese, oh, yeah. Spanish, a way for you to advertise your movie to a whole new demographic. How cool is that? And you can do it in different languages because you have people from all over the world. Does that exist? I'd like to do that with this podcast. Well, I've seen uh, Star Wars festivals in different places. So I think it was Sandbox held that like a, they, they would actually show uh, like a Star Wars movie and people would just go congregate, talk about Star Wars stuff and watch the movie. So you can definitely do that. I don't know if anyone's done it yet, but it's just, you know, these are virtual cities. You know, I often explain it because, you know, to some people, I'm like, they're like, well, why are you buying? Because we bought that big piece in the fashion district. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that because that's very cool. But people are like, what are you exactly buying? And I almost say that I'm pre-buying advertising space. It's like buying, someone said to me, it's like buying land in New York for pennies yeah. 250 years ago, because I'm pre-buying places where people can create a storefront, an advertisement, a billboard, whatever it is they want to do to access that demographic. So that that huge land purchase that you guys just had, was that in the same reasoning for this? 1,000%. So here's what we, the vision is. The vision is we want to be a landlord. So my philosophy on things crypto is always like, let's be part of the, the infrastructure, the operating system. And in this scenario, we can be landlords in the metaverse. What I want that parcel to be is I want that to be the equivalent of the you know, Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive of the metaverse. So that if people want to sort of explore different things that they can buy, and maybe that's Adidas, Nike, Gucci, Balenciaga, these are all brands who are already in the metaverse. You go to our section in the fashion district of Decentraland, and my vision is that you'll just have storefronts and you can wander in there, you can see the products, you can shop. Maybe you have a virtual storefront that looks like a real store when you go in. The clothing designer There's an avatar there. there of a real person that's a salesperson that can sell you stuff. Or the designer him or herself can be there one hour a day, like having office hours. You can pay to book their time for a private consultation. Kim Kardashian with her clothing stores can show up right. at random stores safely and securely. You're removing overhead. You're removing the need for security guards. You're removing the need for, you know, you're talking about the music festival has almost no overhead. And then so advertising. So would you, from an investment perspective, any company, any business that can have global users that has a cost of acquisition right now, that cost of acquisition of their customer is just gonna go down. So like you look at it, I invest That's in right. publicly traded companies. If you were the CEO of one, if, if this company can get a user and pay $30, $40 per user, per verified, it's a good number. That's gonna go down to like 30 cents per acquisition over time. And you're also creating a new revenue stream because you can sell your physical goods, but you can also create an NFT of your goods. And what's your cost of producing that versus a real one? Wow. So, I mean, it gets me, it gets you into like a lot of different subjects. It gets you into like the questions of proof of start, proof of stake versus proof of work. It gets into like when you have, you know, one of the reasons that Gucci has its brand, the reason Gucci's so big is that people know that, that the making of a Gucci handbag is so involved in the people involved and the material involved and the supervision involved. So there's so much work and overhead finesse. You have to be born into a couture family in order to call your bag couture. You can't just invent a new brand. You got to be couture, you know? You get you got to be right. from the French family or whatever. You got to be born into yeah. it. You can't be a Japanese citizen unless your mom and dad are Japanese. So it's like, what will give the brands of the future that same value? So there's a concept in art called provenance. Um, 
And for people that are not unfamiliar, what that is, is in, in the art world is sort of proof or verification of who the artist was and ownership history of that piece of art. It's very hard to prove in the art world. And in fact, that's the biggest area of forgeries that happens is because you don't know if it was actually by the real artist. You don't know the ownership history or anything like that. However, the blockchain solves that. And, and, and Charlie, you would be familiar with this. Everything is stored on the blockchain. So when Gucci gives you, sell, makes that bag and sells it, you can see the ownership history, the price history. You know you're getting a genuine Gucci product. And that is part of the value here of what, you know, what I'd say people fight. It's same thing with like crypto punks or, or bored apes and different things. It's, it's that provenance that you know, you're, or a Beeple piece of art. You know that what you have is genuine and it's a form of social status. You want to own a crypto punk. You want to own a board eight yacht club because a lot of the people that you look like look up to for cultural significance, these people are associating their identities with crypto punks and board eight yacht club. So you want to, for the same reason you are buying a, a pair of sneakers that your favorite basketball player was wearing is the same reason you're going to buy an NFT that your favorite, you know, basketball players using as a social media you know, that's right. Or whatever. Yeah. And crypto punks are, are, are I think crypto punks are very cool for, for people. And I don't know if you've talked about this, but you know, there's like the seven distinct features yep. for the crypto punks. Right. And the Mona Lisa of sort of the NFT world is like the crypto punk that has all the different features because that's the rarest one. And so it's not just, you know, people are always like, oh, it's just JPEGs being sold, bought and sold. But there is a little bit of like art and science there that have combined to create these, what I would call scarcity, oh, yeah. packaging, right? You can go further than that. So like, let's just say these attributes were preset, similar to, to how Bitcoin, most things about it were preset, the supply, everything they're having. If you can preset attributes that are based on worldly things that you can't control, like the time of the day, how many clouds in the sky, things like that, and you and these attributes, and you can breed your different NFTs. You look at Zed Run, we talk about that a lot, horse racing you can breed your own horses but how how the tributes of your horse is not based on you or the creator of this metaverse it's based on these other attributes that you can study and then you can go and find another horse that has attributes that you know that if you breed your horse together you can get a better horse that then can run in the daily live streams where other people are betting on this and you make income to a whole world of of horse betting but also horse breeding and things like that yeah, no, that's, that's a good analogy. Yeah. But there's other cool things. So the other thing what we're doing in the metaverse, we're building a tokens tower. So there's like an tower area bobble. Yes. <laughs> but it, it's a funny story. So what I really want to do is create a prototype on our land in Crypto Valley. So there's an area called Crypto Valley, which um, people will congregate as well to talk crypto stuff. And so we're going to build a tower. So this is a funny story. So they sent me the, orig the original renderings and it looked like a tower, like, I don't know, downtown Manhattan. And I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want something like this. I'm like, I want something that looks like a club in Ibiza combined with like the Bellagio in Las Vegas. I want spotlights. I want clouds yeah. shooting thunderbolts down, spinning logos. So they're like, oh, okay. You want to like do, I'm like, yeah, make something cool that we can use as a prototype to show people what we can do. Because now we're starting to get calls from people and, and Tokens Tower is not ready yet, but we're getting calls from people saying, hey, can you build us a tower to hold conferences in, in the virtual world on your property? And we're like, yeah, we can do that. 
And once we have this prototype built with like the spinning logos and the fountains and like the, the rooftop penthouses, we can use that as a model to attract renters. And I've already got a list of people who want to rent space from us in these places, mostly for advertising, but we can use it as a model for other companies that want to get into the metaverse and are looking for ways to do it. Guys, we need to talk about how to use your Bitcoin and your USDC to earn you interest and make you more money. To do that, we're going to talk about our newest sponsor, Ledin.io, a much better home for your Bitcoin. They're amazing. They're a secure, simple, and easy-to-use platform for managing and growing your digital wealth. On Ledin, you can earn interest on your Bitcoin and on your USDC with some of the industry's best rates. Earn 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin and 9% on all of your USDC. That's right. All you need to do is deposit your coins and you'll receive steady payouts at the end of each month just for leaving your coins with them. 6.1% on Bitcoin is pretty huge. You don't find that same kind of return elsewhere without taking a much greater risk. And 9% on your USDC? Think about what kind of rate you'll get if you had dollars sitting in your bank's savings account. Probably almost nothing. If you've got dollar savings sitting around, this seems like a no-brainer. All you need to do to sign up with Ledin is send a bit of Bitcoin or USDC their way and then sit back and let the interest accrue. So what are you waiting for? Go to untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin to start earning interest on your Bitcoin or USDC today. That's untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin. You're going to love them. Enjoy. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com, is a super awesome community where they take your, private, your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens, and also stocks bonds, ETFs, equities, and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners today. If you go to public.com, forward slash untold stories and you start investing with one dollar they're going to give you up to fifty dollars in a free stock a slice of a stock that's all you got to do download the app one dollar you get 50 bucks worth public.com forward slash untold stories valid for u.s residents 18 plus only subject to account approval and make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures there's no investment advice here these guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos, all together. Make sure you check it all out. Public.com forward slash untold stories. I'm just I'm just completely blown away by how forward thinking you are compared to like some of the other folks that we've talked about with this. It seems like you really understand where this is gonna be in five years or where you think. You talk about Crypto Valley and your land. How do we know that that land, what is that land? And how do we know that land is going to be the land? Or is it one of the lands? How do they all different compete with each other? What are they made out of? Like, Yeah, yeah. so they're all built on the, generally the ones we invest in are built on the Ethereum blockchain. And okay. so when you're buying a piece of land, you're actually buying an NFT. It has a unique digital signature. 
and I can build on it. So that's the first thing why it fits into my, like we haven't talked about tokens.com, but tokens.com is really a, a public vehicle for public market investors to get exposure to sort of next generation crypto stuff. Um, but within that, and let me talk about Decentraland because you know what I mentioned to you is land parcels in the metaverse have a lot of similar attributes to Bitcoin. And I'll explain why. Decentraland has 90,000 NFT parcels put together to make it up. 45,000 of them are owned by the, the foundation and that's parks, rivers, downtown fountains and sidewalks, untouchable. The other 45% are owned by people who own it. It's all owned by different people yeah. and there's regions. So there's a crypto valley, there's a club district, a museum district, different areas that you can go and build things. And it's very democratized. And what I mean by that is it's a TADAL. It's a, you know, autonomous organization where everybody who contributes and has parcels can contribute to the building of that city. And that's why it's like, it's like being in New York 250 years ago. We're determining what the city is going to look like and everyone's participating. It's exciting. So back to the, those land parcels, if you're in a high traffic area, just like if you were going to buy something in like a busy area, Times Square in New York or wherever you're in, I know you're in, a, in Florida, but sure. you know, South Beach, the areas with high visitor traffic are more expensive than the areas that are in the burbs. It's just like real real estate. So if I wanted to buy a land parcel out in the corner somewhere that has no visitor traffic, it's going to be a lot cheaper than something downtown. Our philosophy is let's buy marquee properties in areas with high visitor traffic or that have designated uses like Crypto Valley or the fashion district. Sure. And we're already talking to the central land, which is the foundation about holding a massive fashion show on our property next year. Can you imagine that? We'll have this fashion show where people get to come out, display different things, whether it's virtual, physical, or whatever it is. Tens of thousands of people will descend on that. Again, I'm looking at this like real property. Like if there was a big fashion show, you know, whatever, downtown in Paris or whatever, people would want to advertise and access that demographic. And that's what we're trying to do. I completely, I completely see, I completely see that. And I'm just, I'm just blown away by all of this. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really crazy how fast things have grown. And what's interesting, people often ask me, how do you price real estate there? Because it's not a, you know, but essentially it's the exact same way if you were buying a house or a building. We go and we look at all the comparable sales in the neighborhood. We look at the visitor traffic. How close is it to the downtown? How close is it to here? What has sold most recently? And that's how we would determine a value for that piece of property. Um, so it's not, it's not a commodity like, a yeah, it's not like Bitcoin, which just has one price for all Bitcoin. In the Decentraland, as an example, because it's the one I'm the most familiar with, all 45,000 NFT lots or parcels would have a, a different value. They're all a unique NFT with their own digital signature. What is uh what does governance look like in these in these worlds? What does governance look like? Do you have things like eminent domain? Can the Decentraland Foundation kind of take over my parcel because they want to build new train tracks on it or something like that? No, I think the sort of the foundations of the city have been laid out, but I think what it, you know, and they, they talk about this a lot on, on their webs, not a lot, but they feature, but it's essentially about everybody coming together and deciding. So I couldn't put up a porn store or hate speech uh, without sort of self-governance there, but it's a lot like a city. And so if you think about 
you know, you own a building or several buildings in a city, you're going to want to do things that everybody is in agreement with, or they will self-govern you to taking that down. Yeah, they will. And in fact, like, like Rodeo Drive, St. Armand Circle, places like that have business improvement districts where if you're a business holder or an owner in that district, you have their certain governance and, and association dues and like what, what the signs look like outside and things like that. And, you know, if you're in a part of property rights, part of, and I see this a lot in Florida where it's like, uh, the right to own property is like very enshrined, you know, your, your right to your property in like the state constitution to a point if someone like comes on your property, you can, you have right self defense, shoot them to a point where the property is so, so, uh, uh, but I've, but I'm learning that property isn't just about you being able to do what you want to do on it. It's the opposite too. If you own a property within a neighborhood, like it's a residential neighborhood, your right to owning that property is where someone can't come in and build a store in that residential neighborhood. So you guys all govern yourselves. That's also part of like, so I'd be curious to watch how governance goes out and happens. I, I actually am very curious to see like city takeovers, hostile takeovers, stress tests. I want to see, I want to see how these worlds deal with massive human uh, things like wars and pandemics in the worlds. I'd like to see that, right. how they deal with that. I'd like to see all that stuff. It's, and I was going to ask you like, why? So, so here you are, you're like CEO of HUD8 mining, uh, largest mining, one of the largest mining companies. And you've, you were, you've pretty much like were involved in taking mining, Bitcoin mining from when it was running in people's houses to now how they're publicly traded vehicles that are running on industrial scale, institutional scale. I was going to ask you why get involved in tokens.com, but we've pretty much answered it in the last 30 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, look, very simply, when, when I was one of the co-founders of HUD8 and, and the CEO, and that's back when we had like Mike Novogratz on the board and the people involved. And I think we were the first public Bitcoin miner. And the idea was, how do we give the public market investor exposure to Bitcoin? And, and I love giving this analogy. Buying Bitcoin is probably the easiest thing that you can do in the crypto world. But when the ETF was announced in the US earlier this year and in Canada and the funds, and you see how big Grayscale is, people prefer to own, a lot of people, not everyone, prefer to own this within their public market portfolio through the Robinhood account or whatever. I'm just providing them a different way to do that. At HUD8, by the time I left, there was already another 50 public Bitcoin miners. Yeah. You know, the one strategy that I put in there that they still held is to keep all the Bitcoin to give people that exposure. And I think today HUD8 has the fourth or fifth largest holdings of Bitcoin of any public company behind like, you know, Tesla, MicroStrategy and, and Square, I think. Right. Yeah, You could go to so, Bitcoin Treasuries and check that number out. It's there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so that strategy worked, but I got excited about doing new things. And I mean, the first thing that got me excited was staking, which we haven't talked about, but staking is the new form of proof of work, proof of stake, where you can do a lot of the same things. And I love Bitcoin and I know some people will be like, ah, it's, it's anti-Bitcoin, but it's a way of doing the validation of blocks without using electricity or hardware. And you do it through ownership instead. And so we're staking ETH, Solana, Shiba, a whole bunch of different things, DOT. And I do that through ownership. And so the light bulb went off again and I was like, you can't really have these you know, what I would call crypto funds, but through the staking process, which is deploying technology, I have to own them. 
And by owning them, I'm constantly earning more tokens. Like every minute I'm earning more tokens through the staking process. And I was like, this would be great as a public vehicle because again, it's giving people exposure to a whole bunch of things they might not otherwise get exposure to. And so, you know, we're looking at things like play to earn, which I think is going to be massive next year as well. But I'm trying to put together things that are, you know, if you wanted to access Bitcoin, there's other ways to do that. There's exchanges, but to do, nobody is doing on the public markets what we're doing. Like no public company owns Shiba Inu. No, you guys are the the first ones. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. We own Dot. We own Terra, Solana. We're staking ETH. Like, you know, so I think a combination of all these things I think is, is, is really cool. Proof of work, you know, proof of work when it was invented and it's so important because it, it directly translate a scarce commodity energy and directly translates it into this like value store for that energy. And that's Bitcoin. It's, it's the future value. It's, it's, it's a way for you to not have to worry about uh Sybil attacks or, or someone taking over the network, securitizing because computing power and energy, as much as we find better sources of energy, we can still predict how that energy translates into a certain amount of computing power. So I, I love that proof of stake. I've always been a little wary because listen, I, I, I have these debates all day and it comes down to staking and ownership. You're assuming that the person, the staker or the owner, whoever has, you're translating like previous wealth or previous, like if we look at money as like a scoring card system of being in a pro-social society, the more money you have, the more money you have, the more maybe in, in, a, in a different world, the more money you had to find on how much voting power you had in, in American politics. It's no more. It's, it's one person, one vote. So I, I get all that and I get how convert. And when you have proof of stake, it directly translates that scoring card system into being able to secure a protocol. But what I, what I don't think, and this is just me, is I don't think the current monetary and economic and scoring card system that we have in the world today is, is the best, is the most fair and gives everyone the same equal opportunity to move up and down that system. And so I'm not opposed to proof of stake. I'm opposed to the current iteration of converting whatever we use to score humanity today into however we secure the proof of stake networks of today. I'm not sold on that conversion yet. And I'm probably like one of the only people in the world to even like have this conversation because uh, I'll get yelled at or fired if I was working for a publicly traded or whatever and, and said this. Right. So, so here's a couple things to consider because I think both have merits. If you look at the proof of work network, when you had the pools, and, and, and one of the things that often is like, because I think you're talking about, it's an unfair advantage if you have more capital and you can buy more. Basically, staking. yeah. So if you think back to the pools, and I, and I haven't checked them in a while, but I mean, what was it that the Chinese pool controlled like what, over 50% of the world's hash rate? That's yeah. kind of centralized and, and, and worrisome. I think in talking about capital, mining is hugely expensive. I mean, mining equipment and hardware has got about a four-year life, and then you got to keep replacing it. Largely, if you look at who's yeah. dominating Bitcoin mining these days, it's all large corporations. No one's doing it in their basement anymore. 
It was a hobbyist activity. It was designed, I think, to be for, for passionate people that they could do in their house. And it was the invention of the ASIC chip that took it into an industrial endeavor. In terms of the, and, 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 I, and I agree, it's still the safest system, never been hacked. Staking though, if you own a whole bunch of ETH or DOT, aren't you really in a sense screwing yourself if you're trying to you know, validate bad transactions? Because then if a system actually gets proven to be broken down, then the value of whatever you're holding gets broken. Remember there's, there's bonding periods. I can't just approve a bad transaction and remove all my ETH or DOT. Um, and there's slashing events. So I'm actually putting it at, at stake. And so if I'm staking, for example, ETH, ETH is locked into the yeah. ETH system when I'm staking it until the merge is finished, probably by the end of Q2 next year. I don't want to risk my capital by sending a double spend, you know, once to, one to Charlie and one to somebody else. So I think the, there's different alignment, both work. But a, a question for you, do, yeah, don't you think you that, that this year, you don't, and I faced this a lot when I was running HUD-8, but don't you think that there's a bit of an, an optics issue for Bitcoin today and with respect to the energy use? Yeah, I think that that those who are, and you could you could probably validate this, those who are doing Bitcoin mining in the most energy efficient way don't want to talk about it as much because they don't want their competitors to know kind of what they're doing and how it all works. So you don't really have like, it's the, the Bitcoin energy uh, issue that people kind of claim and then you see it on the news all the time in Bloomberg and et cetera, et cetera, is just the low hanging fruit. It's the easy one because there's no one who's going to counter it really. Did you ever try to, whenever you'd see that as CEO of HUD 8, did you ever go and say, oh, we got to go and tell Bloomberg that they're wrong? Or you just say, like, who cares? Like, we're still mining Bitcoin. The price is still going up. I don't want to let anyone know what, what we're doing and why this is so amazing. But if you follow like Nick Carter on Twitter, you see that most mining today is actually converging towards like better, better hydropower and things that are better for environmentally friendly. And, and so like, you're right, the proof of work versus proof of stake. I think proof of work and proof of stake are going to both succeed in and of themselves. And they're two very different things. A good example is if you want to buy property in a certain neighborhood, you don't need permission. But if you want to buy property in a certain neighborhood that has a homeowners association, you need permission from that homeowners association to buy a house in that neighborhood. Most people don't realize that too. Buying property is not fully permissionless. We all think that land and property and energy is fully decentralized and permissionless. Well, it is in a lot of places. It mostly is, but a lot of times it's not. So therefore we can have blockchains. We can have metaverses. We can have things that have various levels of decentralization and permission and permissionless. Do you agree or am I wrong? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and I mean, bringing it back to proof of stake versus proof of work. Um, my prediction is in, in, in the next couple of years, out of the top 10 tokens, nine out of 10 are going to be staking tokens. Yeah, the I, only I do agree token of significance, The only token of any significance that's going to remain on proof of work is going to be Bitcoin. Yep. Yep. And I hope that happens. I, two years ago, in the top 10, how many proof of stake tokens were there? Take a guess. Probably none, right? One? You're right. Zero. Zero. Yeah. Today, six out of 10. But here's, here's another reason why. And we, you know, there's the, the whole environmental issue and the, the energy use. But 
proof of work, and I know there'll be guys who are like, you're right, but generally speaking, proof of work can process about 15 transactions per second, one five. To put that in perspective for you, Visa and MasterCard can do 20 to 30,000 transactions per second. Staking, and I like to look at these as operating systems. I'm like, one, it's like owning iOS or Android, but staking operating system can process 100,000 transactions per second. And so if you think about what's happening in the DeFi world and in the NFT world and the metaverse world, you need more processing power because right now, Ethereum, people complain about the gas fees. All that is, is people like trying to drink water through a pinhole because there's so many transactions trying to happen. It's not fast enough. To my mind, ETH can't transition quickly enough to staking because it'll hopefully, in theory, alleviate that problem of too many transactions trying to get through the pinhole at once. That's, I mean, that's the claim. That's the hope for, what is it, ETH2. And, you know, it's, it, isn't yeah. it interesting how Ethereum was the first blockchain to really like, you know, not the first, but one of the first to, to, to conceptualize and theorize and actually like push towards a, a staking future. But it's one of the ones that's having the hardest time actually moving over to staking because it's so yeah. bad. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but it, it's getting there. And it is. I often tell people, has anybody built anything on proof of work in the last couple of years? Like if you look at the Solanas, like all the layer ones, um, nothing is built on crypto mining anymore. And like, what's going to happen? Like, you know, Bitcoin gold and Bitcoin, like, I, I mean, are all these things just going to disappear and get completely marginalized? That's a good question. I mean, what happens to all the second, secondary and third and, and third and fourth machines when you, when they're not efficient anymore, all these machines that aren't efficient, there's this whole world of like mining crap coins. I have people who will buy machines right. second, third, fourth hand, and then just mine anything they can. It's like, there's one, there's a protocol out there, I forget its name, that will like profit switch for you on any script, uh, right. anything you can buy, Litecoin and like the 60 other script coins, it'll like just constantly be switching, sell it into its own token and cash you out. I mean, that's, that's the future, but you're right. Like the future, these worlds cannot be built on proof of stake. But what I think was proof that- Proof of work. You're right. These worlds can't be built on proof of work, sorry. But what I think will, will happen is the currency that'll work within a lot of these worlds will be Bitcoin or a proof of work or a proof of stake coin that's backed by some amount of Bitcoin. A lot of people, like hundreds, if not, like, I don't have the exact number, but I'm going to say like at least 50% of the tokens and coins that are in proof of stake today are backed up by some amount of Bitcoin treasury. So Bitcoin is this huge proof of work, is this huge backbone on the whole proof of staking infrastructure. And I think that will constantly exist. So like companies and businesses will keep a few hundred Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Individuals, governments are mining Bitcoin. Same thing that a lot of these proof of stake coins that launch or blockchains will have to have in the beginning, at least like some amount of Bitcoin to like backbone their, their treasury because the interoperability with Bitcoin to the rest of the ecosystem is there. You can wrap Bitcoin, you can borrow against, it, you can do all these things. So it's like a right. great bootstrapper. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and there, there'll be other solutions. You know, Lightning Network. Yeah, has not seemed to take off. But like, like, like I know there's wrap Bitcoin, and I'm not totally familiar with it. But really, couldn't you really, like you're saying, have things backed by Bitcoin that operate under more of a staking mechanism where you can have a lot of the advantages, but with that speed. 
And I think that might be one of, you know, if Bitcoin was to ultimately look to address the optics issue, whether real or imagined on the energy use, these might be ways to do it. The other thing that people are, are talking about now that I'm hearing is quantum computing. And so as that becomes more of a reality, there's maybe going to be ways where you can get 500 to 1,000 times better efficiency off your hardware and electricity. I mean, your hash rate will just go bananas. Well, that's the thing. Bitcoin has the ability to prevent against quantum computing from coming in and taking over the network. So these proof of stake networks have the ability to prevent from someone with a quantum computer to come in and like hyperstake or figure out a way to do some sort of like play to earn a lot faster than someone else and earn more. Like there's the same kind of problems that you'd have there too. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. This is, I, I love having these, uh, these in-depth conversations because I think, I think what I get out of this is that this is so early and there's so much, there's still so much like throwing things at the wall to see what sticks and just like proof of work, proof of stake, the next level, you're, there's so much new and then the new attracts talent and growth. And then everyone is all looking to there. And so I guess to kind of bring it all together, what you're doing at tokens.com is you're telling folks, Hey, we are on top of, we're investing in everything that's new before everyone finds out about it. And we're taking the, we are taking the right amount of, of acquisitions. We are taking the right amount of stake in these things to make sure that anyone on the outside can make sure they have a, a, a piece of the future, a piece of that software of the future. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And one of the things I love about investing in uh, blockchain and crypto is I don't have a, load of, a lot of clients. Like I'm not building a website to attract people to come and interact at my website. The blockchain pays us. And in terms of metaverse real estate, we're buying, we're doing these transactions, we're going to develop it. But it's, it's not a, an intensive, you know, capital labor heavy business. We're really just buying the things that I think a lot of people wish they knew how to buy themselves, or maybe just don't have time to do it. And we're holding it and putting it on our balance sheet. So we're an asset heavy business. What is the ticker? So the ticker in the US, okay, you'll like this, is Smurf. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. So Smurf, to, to, to be listed in the US as a Canadian entity, I'm based in Toronto, you need to have an F at the end of the, the, the letters to signify foreign. And so- I didn't I, know that. Yeah, so if you look, they all end in F. Yeah, like Voyager, um, so, V-Y-G-F or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Interesting. So yeah, for foreigners. So I call them up and I'm like, I want something memorable. What five letter words do you have kicking around? They're like, nobody's taken thief yet. I was like, don't do I don't want that ticker symbol. So I did a Google search and Smurf came up and I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always change it later. But it seems to have resonated. In Canada, we did our RTO. We have the ticker symbol coin, C-O-I-N, which I might have to change because right after we went public, there was another mm -hmm. uh, crypto company you might have heard of, uh, Coinbase, that went public in the U.S. with the same ticker symbol. So, um, but Canada were Coin, and the U.S. were Smurf. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time and and t coming back on Untold Stories today. Anytime, uh, Charlie. Thank you. This is awesome. I appreciate you, and I hope to hang out and see you in the metaverse at the next reggae festival or something. Please, yeah. I'll see you later.